Good morning, everybody. I'm just going to get set up here. You know, I could have chosen to bring water, like a sane person, but I live on iced coffee. Um, good morning. I, for those of you who do not know me, I am Tasha Hess, and I'm getting nerves right now. So, um, I'm married to Aaron, bass player, and we have three girls, Addie, Emma, and Hazel. Um, I'm excited to be up here. The last time I was up here was Mother's Day 2019, and I was very pregnant with Hazel. <laughs> um, it was a challenge getting on the stage. <laughs> um, but before we start, I just wanted to open with a prayer. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, this time to come together um, and just to receive uh, this word, this message. Um, we thank you for the people who are sitting here today. Um, and for those who are serving and those who um, couldn't make it, Lord, we just ask that you would um, be with everybody today as we uh, go through your word, in Jesus' name. All right, so here at Hope Community, we speak a lot about the importance of community. We know that we are called to live in community, that it is important, necessary, and beneficial. We know that our belief in the triune God knits us together as a body of Christ. From the start, God intended us for us to live alongside others. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Jump ahead to the New Testament, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, it says, just as one body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. A little later, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul warns that if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Last week, Kathy gave a wonderful message on Psalm 68 and how God has placed us in a family, his family. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families. If you missed last week, I would certainly encourage you to go back and give it a listen. So we know that community is important, and God has placed us in this community. But how are we supposed to behave within the context of our community? This week, I want to explore that question and address how we move from a place of knowledge into action. If I'm being honest, this message was a tandem effort with the Lord in the 11th hour. <laughs> I mulled over what to share and how to say it. There were many previous iterations. But as a person whose battery is charged by spending time with others, I knew I wanted to explore the how of community. I wanted to give a practical and biblical view of how to achieve, achieve a thriving community. And so I kept coming back to the latter half of Romans. For some context, Paul wrote the book of Romans to the Romans in about AD 57, and it's broken into two parts. The first part, books 1 through 11, are what to believe. And the second part, books 12 to 26, is how to behave. My Life Application Study Bible summarizes these instructions on behavior well. It reads, moving from the theological to the practical, Paul gives guidelines for living as a redeemed people in a fallen world. We are to give ourselves to Christ as living sacrifices, obey the government, love our neighbors, and take special care of those who are weak in faith. These words from Paul so plainly address how we are supposed to grow and behave within our communities. This morning, our focus is on the second half of Romans 12, starting at verse 9. 
We're going to touch on such a small part of it, but I would highly recommend going back and reading all of Romans 12 to Romans 16. Let's reread the verses that were in the bulletin. We're going to add in a few that sandwich the passage on either side. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, we're reading Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Clearly, there's a lot to unpack here. BibleStudyTools.com has this section labeled as Love in Action, NIV translation. But when you switch to the ESV, it's labeled Marks of a True Christian. The commentary in my Bible's footnotes for verses 9 and 10 reads, But God calls us to real and sincere love that goes far beyond pretense and politeness. Sincere love requires concentration and effort. It demands our time, money, and personal involvement. In another commentary by Elizabeth Shively, a lecturer on New Testament studies, she notes that Paul echoes Jesus in calling attention to love as the key moral norm for God's people. Jesus had said that the law and the prophets hang on two commands, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The reference there being Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Shively goes on to say, True love expresses what it means to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It requires us to engage with others in a practical and physical way. This kind of engagement is a challenge since technology and social media make us feel that we can maintain virtual relationships inside and outside the Christian community. We may be able to maintain some connections, but we cannot express genuine love. The love requires us True love requires us to live alongside and engage with others in a full-bodied way. In these passages, verses 9 through 21, or specifically verses 9 through 13, Paul includes three of the four types of biblical love. In verse 9, he speaks to agape, which is self-sacrificial love, modeled on God's love for his people. Love Agape must be sincere. In verse 10, he speaks to philia, love, which is brotherly or sisterly love. It quite plainly says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 
The word there for brotherly love being Philadelphia. And what a wonderful place we are for that. Honor one another above yourselves. And then in verse 13, we dive into more familial, affectionate love. Storge, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, or philozina. This may be one of my favorites. The Greek origin of the word hospitality is philoxenos, literally the love of strangers. Between verse 9 and verse 13, we are called to three variations of biblical love, all of which require us to be self-sacrificial. The type of devotion to our community that we are called to is ongoing, full-bodied, and self-sacrificial. It is the mark of a true Christian. Now that we know that we are called to live in community, not just as a passive participant, what are some practical or physical ways that we can engage our community? I think the most practical place to start is verse 13. Verse 13 reads in the ESV, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In the NIV it reads, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're going to get a little bit word nerd here and we're going to look at the literal meaning and the Greek origin behind the key words in this passage. So first up, we're going to look at contribute, which is koinuet. Koi noio, guys, Greek is hard, <laughs> um, literally translates to participate in or to have a share in. The next key word is saints, hagios, which translates to set apart, those who are set apart. Then we have practice, or by Strong's Concordance, which is a great reference for this stuff, by the way, the word is pursuing. This verb in Greek is diokantes, and it comes from pursue, dioko, aggressively chasing, earnestly pursuing. Guys, this is a strong action word. The last word is, of course, hospitality, philozina, the love of strangers. This one is extending the storge love to everyone in our community. So for a more accurate take on verse 13, we are to actively participate in meeting the needs of those who are set apart aggressively chasing the love of strangers. The affectional familial love, referenced in 12.13, Romans 12.13, is presented in a practical light by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. He muses that storge, affection, familial love, relies on the expected and the familiar. Lewis describes it as humble. Affection almost slinks or seeps through our lives, he says, it lives with humble, undressed, private things, soft slippers, old clothes, old jokes, the thump of a dog's tail on the kitchen floor, the sound of a sewing machine. What's happening here is the unfolding of biblical hospitality versus worldly hospitality. My study Bible has a great note on this. It reads, Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining. Entertaining focuses on the home host. The home must be spotless, the food must be well-prepared and abundant, and the host must appear relaxed and good nature. Hospitality, on the contrary, can happen in a messy home. It can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. It can happen even while the host and the guest are doing chores together. Don't hesitate to offer hospitality just because you are too tired, too busy, 
or not wealthy enough to entertain. This is where we make the leap from knowledge to application. If we said yes to Jesus, and we've said yes to being a part of this community, we have to start saying yes to action. We have to say yes in a way that affects our behavior and permeates every area of our lives. So let's make it practical. We are on the cusp of a new school year, and many of us are returning to our routines and our more structured rhythms of fall. To make this message tangible, I'd like to walk through a few simple ways I think we can start to put more effort into sincere love. I chose the word simple and not easy because these things are not necessarily easy. If we jump back a little to Romans 12:2, we find that famous verse, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. These things are going to be hard because they're not socially normal. But I promise that I've seen these things lead to much deeper and meaningful connections. And maybe as I talk through these, these practices, these practices you've already made standard in your life. And if that's the case, that's amazing. I would encourage you to continue on. Find fellow brothers and sisters who can help you move in a countercultural devotion to others. And if perhaps you found yourself in this community, but not as active as you'd like, maybe jot a few of these down and pick one or two to try out as we move into a new school year. So the first practical thing you can do to begin engaging in community is to show up. I love what Shively said about engaging with others in a full-bodied way. Your physical body needs to be present in the pew, on the couch, in the restaurant, on the walk, in the store, to be a part of the body. Nowhere are there any conditions on the call to practice hospitality. It doesn't say, practice hospitality unless you are tired, or practice hospitality unless you don't really know those people. In fact, I'd argue that biblical hospitality strips away a lot of the excuses because it's not about us. It's about meeting the needs of others. And for us to be able to meet others' needs, we have to know what their needs are. We have to be in shared spaces within our community and an active part of it. So here are some action items, simple ways that we can show up. Um, this is a shameless plug for small groups. <laughs> Come out to small group. There's men's, women's, young women's, prayer groups. Um, it's all in the bulletin. You can in attend an informal gathering, like a bonfire or a dinner out. Build time in to come early to church and build time in to stay late. Hang out, linger. Um, attend the service opportunities. Fourth of July in Prospect Park, Ridley Park. Um, these are great opportunities to just show up and be present. The second way we can move from inactive to, an act to active love is by initiating. Be the first one to extend an invite. Be the one to break the ice. Sometimes, all it takes is a little more effort added on to what you are already doing. A personal favorite of mine is to bake a double batch of cookies. I'll keep some for my family and then deliver the rest to my immediate neighbors. This also prevents me from eating two batches of cookies. <laughs> I'll keep some for my family, deliver the rest, and this, this takes what, you know, that whole I was thinking about you and makes it a tangible thing. It shows my neighbors that I was, in fact, thinking about them. The whole actions speak louder than words. One habit I've adopted is texting people right when I'm thinking about them. 
It takes two seconds of my time to say, hey, I was thinking about you lately. How have things been going? So how can you initiate? You can invite a friend, a family, or a couple over for dinner. Open your home up for a game night. Meet someone for coffee or share a glass of wine. Well, I guess don't share the glass, whatever. <laughs> Meet some, bake your neighbor some cookies. Offer to take a walk with a friend. Ask someone to join you at Target. Moving right along. I'm always at Target, guys. Um, if you are on the receiving end of an invitation, take it. Be willing to receive. When we first moved into our house, we'd been married just shy of four years. We had one child and barely an apartment stuff, an apartment's worth of stuff. We certainly did not have the vast collection of power tools and house-tending things that we would need to take on our house. Our neighbors have, over the years, supplied us with a snowblower, a lawnmower, spare wood, sugar, baking soda, tiki torches, pet sitting, free childcare, unpaid labor, meals, and most recently, a slice of ice cream cake on a particularly hard day of parenting. We have reached a point where, in a time of need, I think first of the houses that surround us and feel such comfort. Imagine if we all lived that way. What I've found is that if you extend the invitation, most people are willing and excited to be able to extend one in return. It goes back to what Kathy was talking about, this deep desire to belong. Those in our community desire to be needed, and we say that they are needed with our actions when we receive their offer with sincerity. So, short list of action items for receiving, accept the cookies. And I would, I dare I say it, accept the cookies even if you're on a diet. Take someone up on their awful to shovel your sidewalk. Instead of running to the shore for, store for needed sugar, first ask your neighbors. I'm also going to throw this pro tip in here for everyone. Include food. We all have to eat, so you're already starting on neutral ground. Not to mention, asking about food, whether brought or served, is a great catalyst into conversation. So often in the Bible, we see Jesus sharing a meal in someone's home. He attended weddings and feasts, shared meals, and broke bread. He gave his disciples the most somber news over a shared Passover feast. Don't underestimate the power of an invitation to share a meal with someone. So, bringing it home, here's just one example for me where I saw these simple actions of showing up, initiating, and receiving lead to a partnership and eventually a deeper friendship in this very community. In December 2020, Kathy hosted a bonfire, a year-end bonfire at her house. There was still concern for COVID, so we sat outside in freezing temperatures. 40 degrees, maybe less, is enough to deter most people from sitting outside, but I chose to show up alongside a number of other women. Wrapped in blankets, we shared our struggles from the past year and our hopes for the new one. There was lighthearted chatter and meaningful reflection. The Lord had already placed on my heart the idea of leading a young women's group an idea that I'd mentioned to Pastor Josh but hadn't fully developed at that point. It was that evening across the bonfire that I heard Brindy, formerly Gibbs, <laughs> say she was hoping that maybe she could one day start a group for the young women at Hope. Kathy said something like, oh, Tasha had a really similar idea. 
And after a little bit of conversation, we had our first planning meeting a few weeks later. In April 2021, we had our first young women's group meeting. I'm sure I can speak for Brindy that, at the start, it was a little awkward. We didn't know each other very well, and we certainly didn't have any rhythm leading together. But Brindy would always stay a little extra after our groups, and sometimes we'd plan for the following week, and sometimes we'd talk about nonsense. And other times, we'd let ourselves weigh heavy questions that didn't and don't have any answers. But how comforting to wrestle and mull over these things with a sister instead of a stranger. And as the time has gone on, I now not only have a sister in Christ because of this shared community, but also a true friend. And it was because we both chose to step out into the awkwardness and mess of getting to know someone more intentionally. We've discovered that we share a love for art, although if you ask us, we're on completely opposite sides of the profession. <laughs> Brindy loves cats, and I love dogs, and my dog loves Brindy. And we still sit together after our meetings and talk, sometimes about the coming week, sometimes about nothing. But those moments serve to continue building our friendship, and I don't think that would happen if we both chose to rush out promptly at 8.45. Oh, and I will add that most of the time it involves snacks. Let me be clear that most of this does not happen easily. I think often God is asking us to step into these things when they seem at odds with our schedule. But God has made you a part of the family, and if you're a part of it, you need to be present. So take a look this week at your schedule. Think about who you interact with and where you find yourself. And if maybe it doesn't look as communal as you'd like, send a text. Invite someone over to eat with you. Attending a small group this fall? Offered a carpool. That is bonus built-in time to and from the small group to further that relationship. Being in community is simple, but it's not easy. We are not called to love from the sidelines, but rather in an active, ongoing, self-sacrificial way that contributes to the needs of the saints. We have a roadmap for how we are meant to be in community, and now it's up to us to follow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Um, Lord, that you have given us instructions on, on our need for community and also how to be in community. Lord, we ask that as we go into this week that you would just stir our hearts um, to just reach out even a little bit, maybe to a neighbor, to a friend, to a fellow brother and sister in Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for this community, this place of refuge. And we thank you so much um, that we are able to gather here, Lord. We ask all this in your name. Amen.